Father, we're grateful for tonight, grateful for your word, um, and grateful for the truth there. I pray for us tonight that that last bridge of that song, above all else, um, that we would adore your name, be true of our lives, help us to see tonight and hear the word, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How are you guys? Yeah, that's good, man. I always miss not being here, so... Just be careful. I haven't had a sermon lab this week. I feel like a racehorse, so we may be flying off the you know, handle today. But grab your Bible and turn to James chapter one. Uh, if you're new here uh, for the first time, or maybe you haven't been here in a little while, uh, my name is Brandon. I'm the college director here. Um, and if I haven't met you, I would love to afterwards uh, get to know you and just hear your story a little bit. But you're, you're jumping into us after a, a series that we began five weeks, uh, a five week series on asking for a friend, going through some hard questions. And our hope and desire was to move into uh, a book of the Bible from there. Um, and as a ministry, but also as a church, the, the Bible is the root and the foundation of everywhere we go. And sometimes we try to answer these really hard cultural questions and in the cultural moment that we live in, we try to answer them maybe outside of the Bible or with our experiences or with our feelings. And and what the word of the Lord is gonna direct us is into a truth that never shifts, right? Because if you're like me, your feelings can be all over the place. True? No, you're not like me. Okay, perfect. Um, It's great. Uh, my feelings are everywhere. I, I can get really excited. I can get really, really angry. There's a couple kids that I coached in here. Um, they can attest to that. Um, man, I can go all over the place. And so uh, what we want to do is root and center our lives in the biblical truth. And so we said, what better way to do that by going through the book of the Bible? And they were like, hey, what book of the Bible will just throat punch us? And we said, uh-huh, that's James. All right. So we, that's how we got to James was we wanted a good spiritual throat punch. All right. And so um, I, I hope tonight, listen, I'm, I'm really grateful for Justin beginning this series last week. And each week, our desire is to build off the biblical text that you kind of know where we're going. And if you're in a grow group, which are our intentional groups of discipleship that just read the Bible together, we'll have an announcement about how to get involved in those. If you're not, we want to find place in the Bible we can just cling to. And so if you're not reading through the Bible, why not just start in James? Now I'm going to go through like six verses a week. I think we can even handle that, right? Even the freshmen in here can handle that, all right? And so, listen, we just wanna get in here tonight. And so, one of the themes that runs through the scriptures, but particularly in the book of James, is this idea between temporal and eternal. Like, that's the story of the Bible, right? Is, is that there, is, there are things on this earth that are going to fade away, but there are also things and relationships and things that will last for eternity. And so when we look at the scriptures, we want to see and through these eyes of temporary versus eternal and ask ourselves, what is the posture of my heart? James is saying, where are you looking? And all throughout this this scripture, you're gonna see that today. Where are your eyes, your heart, and your soul fixated? Is it on what's here and now and in front of us? Or is it on eternal things that are sometimes hard to grasp, but but produce eternal consequences? And so this is where we're gonna be tonight. And so let me just give you my aim, is to compare two things. One, 
is we wanna look at the temporary temptations of life. We wanna look and examine what are the temptations in life that are temporary, that are right before us right now. All of us are dealing with, ex, with things from the outside that wanna pervade into our heart and steal and rob our affections, though they lie to us and say, they're actually gonna give us joy. We find that we do them and we're like, okay, that didn't last as long as I thought it was going to. And so we go back to that well, thinking that somehow it's gonna change. We wanna look at the temporary temptations of life. And second is we wanna examine the eternal conditioning of God's testing. Like is our hard things God's anger and disappointment at us or actually are they his grace and his mercy to walk through there? And so let me start with a story here. When, when I was younger, um, when I was in high school, uh, my dad and I had a horrific relationship. It was volatile. I don't know if some of you guys can uh, attain to this. Uh, it, was, it was not a good relationship. Um, uh, by God's grace, fast forward to now, we have a great relationship, we're really good friends. Jesus does wonderful things. So if you're in a hard spot with your parents, just remember that. Um, but my dad and I would get into it all the time. And there's anger and we said things that we didn't want to or even mean to each other, but it left some scarring for me because what I translated when I saw father in the Bible was that, that relationship with my earthly dad automatically came into perspective. Anybody else ever been there? So when the Bible talked about God being a loving father, being we'll read, testing and trials and all these things my way because he was eternally angry with my performance. That didn't live up to his standards, right? I was a basketball player. That's what I did. I didn't do anything else. Uh, it didn't pay off for me in the end. I ended up going to coaching. So um, I was a, I was a, that, that was what I did. And I can remember after games, right? Feel like I had a really, really good game. And really kind of pumped about the role I played for the team, which was never like the score or anything like that. I was just a good role player. And dad'd be like, man, you could have done this, 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 this better, right? Anybody get that? Yeah, right? So much so my dad wrote me a letter my senior year and was like, hey, sorry for all those years, right? It was just like, like we had, it was, it was but what left me thinking was my performance was what drove affection, right? And so then I began to take that out. And I'm not blaming my dad. This is all my own stuff, right? Like I'm not blaming him for this. But what I began to do, I took that to relationships outside of basketball. I took it to relationships with ladies and friends and took that into relationships in the workplace. And all those things became performance driven, because I thought that that's what I needed to do to please people. That's had to be what I needed to do to please God. And I had to do this. And, and any desires that were good in me, that felt good, were actually all evil and needed to be suppressed. And anything that was a hard trial that came, came as a direct result of his frustration and eternal disappointment with me. Because I didn't have this right biblical view of what temptation, trial, and testing actually were in the light of his grace. But James enters into this fray. And so let's look here at James. We're gonna start in verse 12. We're gonna read a few. James writes, "'Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, "'for when he has stood the test, "'you will receive the crown of life, "'which God has promised to those who love him. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am be tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So James in verse 12 is gonna bridge this gap from the previous section that Justin went over last week. If you didn't, if you weren't here for that, you didn't get to hear that, subscribe to Redeemer College Podcast, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, It would be a really, really good listen. But he's gonna bridge this gap between here and and before he reemphasizes the first two verses of chapter one, he bridges the gap into this idea with blessed, right? Blessed. In this context, what blessed means is it's describing an attitude of determined courage that is unaffected by external circumstances. That is unaffected by external circumstances. Think back to these previous verses. Like if you just want to look back in verse, um, verse seven and eight. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Like there is this attitude here in verse 12 that, that contrasts two different people. The blessed person who is resultly fixed on something eternal versus the one who is looking at constant shifting circumstances. And he said, blessed is this guy who's not tossed to and fro by the waves. But blessed is the guy who's fixed here. This man has his eyes fixedly, fixedly firmed, or firmed fixedly, there it is, on what will last. Look at 1 Peter chapter one. Look at what 1 Peter says here in chapter six and seven. 1 Peter says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may not be found to result, may, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like there is this idea that we rejoice, though this world's gonna be really, really hard, we have something eternal fixed on. What we're gonna see in this section of scripture is God's testing and what God's testing leads to and what God's earthly temptation leads to. And let me tell you, they are two very extremely different places. And so look at verse 13. As he kind of sets the stage in 12, he gets into the meat of the text in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it's conceived, give birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So James, from the beginning, puts this age-old debate to rest here. God does not tempt. God does not tempt, nor can he be tempted. Because if you'll, if you'll think back, we did a sermon about God's goodness in the face of evil and suffering. We believe by the scriptures that God is good. Therefore, all that he does is for his glory and the good of his people. Now, 
When we look at testing and temptation and trials, we often don't feel that because it's really hard. And the Greek gets even harder here because the Greek word for testing and trials is exactly the same. It's like, thanks, Greek language. That rocks, man. What we have to examine is the context and the outcome of each of these two earthly temptations and godly testing. Look at what he says here. Let's look, at, let's look at temptation first. But each person is tempted. When, is, when are they tempted? A person is tempted when their desires lead them and tempt them, that they drag us away and entice us to certain things. The core of temptation. Think about the temptations that are in your life. Think about the eternal moment that promises pleasure for you. The, the core of a temptation is a desire to fall into evil. It's a desire to be bound to the ways of this world. Like that's the desire. That's what the temptation is. It's not to get you to feel good. It's not to get you to get addicted to something. It's because you fall into the trap of being bound to the ways of this world. And where does that come from? Where does those, those desires come from within? Mark 7, 21, I don't think I have it, have it up here, but it says this, for from within, out of the heart of a man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, uh, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. When my desires within run to things that are temporary, like anybody, anybody struggle with any of those, that list of things? Yeah, man, I think if we were gonna be honest, like all those things are there and coming from a desire to pursue what's temporary and have my momentary fill. Got any fishermen out there? And don't get all spiritual and be like, I'm a fisher of men, all right? Now, okay, don't, don't do that, all right? I like to pose as a fisherman, Okay, like I got the gear, right? I'm like the dude who show, you know, shows up to the wreck, just, you know, he's got all the stuff on the headband, right? I don't know if they still do that. But, you know, you're like, you know, the cool kicks and then he gets on the court and he's like, right? That's how I am with fishing, okay? That's how I'm with fishing. I got all the gear. I get in the river and man, I can't catch anything, right? But here's what I know, because I know good fishermen, like, if you know Dusty, who preaches his pulpit on Sundays, um, like I know good fishermen. Here's the deal. Good fishermen have to have something on the end of that hook that's gonna entice that fish, right? So I'm a fly fisherman. I pose as a fly fisherman. Like I know that there are certain times where I've gotta have a dry fly or certain times I gotta go a little bit deeper based on what they're like. There's something that has to be enticing to them. I cannot catch a fish if there's nothing on the end of that. If there's nothing enticing to, to that fish, I'm never gonna catch it. If the soul is driven by pleasure and desire, food, money, success, comfort, you put in the blank there for yourself, then temptation is right there to be given into. If the soul's desire is to be fed temporarily, then temptation is really easy to fall into the trap. Because what James is referring to when he talks about desire is the natural desire that is within all of us. Our temporary needs 
supersede his ultimate purposes. So when our temporary needs supersede his ultimate purposes. So not all desire is bad, right? No, it's not. Yeah, I'll answer that for you, right? So a desire for a relationship is not bad. It's not, a, it's not an evil desire. When that relationship becomes toxic and it's all you can think about, it's all you can do, you can't, you can't think about, man, I just text, I texted her like, you know, seven minutes ago and she hadn't texted back and I don't know what to do and I'm looking at my phone and every, you go crazy, right? Like when it gets to that level, that desire has gone from what God has intended as a good desire in a relationship to something that is ultimately above his purposes, right? Intimacy. I don't know where you're at on that. If it's success, whatever that's supposed to mean. The desire to be really good at something is not bad. The desire to be skilled at your craft is actually a godly, a godly desire. But when that desire supersedes his ultimate purpose for your life and it becomes the end in and of itself, then the temptation is there to bind us, to give, and we'll see in a minute the progression that temptation has in our lives. When desires are in direct opposition to the eternal purposes of God, look at this progression in verse, uh, in verse 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. This desire, this unhealthy, unrepentant desire that says, I want your stuff more than I want you will lead to sin and sin. And that's just living in it, right? That ultimately leads to death. Like it ultimately leads to separation. Desire in the right context is never bad in and of itself. God has given us desires to glorify him, to actually find joy and fulfillment. But when those desires go outside his boundaries and the good becomes the ultimate, sin is born. And sin, when it matures, like, listen, this isn't action. This is the state of the soul in relationship to God. I'm not talking about the little things that you do on occasion. Yeah, those are sinful acts. We're talking about something a lot deeper. It's a soul posture towards the Lord. That if you go read Romans chapter one says, man, I'm gonna choose creation over the creator. It's, it's what Adam and Eve said in the garden. It's what we've been saying ever since. Forget you, God, I just want your stuff. And when that desire mature, or when that desire, sin is born, and sin, when it is mature, takes over and it leads to separation. Like this is the ultimate end of human free will. Like given to our own will, we will run after what we want to run after. Nobody taught my kid to be selfish. That's ingrained, that's a desire that he had. He had a desire and he goes after it. So he wants to be, so he wants to do, you can hear about my kid in a minute. It's great. But left to my own devices, I will always choose the temporary and be trapped by the temptation. Like always left to my own desires. Left to my own devices, left to my own going, I will always choose what I want. But God, <laughs> it doesn't end there. 
You're like, great sermon, Brandon. Go in peace, you're sent. God offers us something greater. Listen, I can't blame God for my sin, right? Like I can't blame, we just said that from the beginning. God cannot be tempted and does not tempt. I can't blame God for my sin. It is not him who has drawn me into sin. He doesn't desire me to sin. His desires are way different and have a better purpose than I ever could have imagined. And here's the thing, all of us are currently in those desires and we found ourselves here or we've been there and we're battling these things by his grace and mercy. Now here's the transition in verse 16. Look at what he says there. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Don't be deceived to what the Lord offers in trials and testings. He's gonna refer back here to verse 12 or verse, verse two and four in chapter one that says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That we should not be deceived into thinking that God is the author of temptation and that all trials are an attempt to fall into evil. That's what he's saying there. God is not the author of temptation and trials are not his eternal disappointment with you. But look here in verse 17 and 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Every good gift and every perfect gift. Decisively, like the, decisively unlike the evil that temptation seeks to bring in our lives and trap us, unlike that, God in his grace applies every good and perfect gift. The way of growth that God offers, though sometimes through pain and tears, these gifts remind us of a good God. And even in the midst of trials, listen, even in the midst of trials, he is not hanging us out to dry. But these difficulties are strengthening and perfecting us into the image of Jesus. I have an 11-year-old son. Okay? My 11-year-old son is a lot like me, which terrifies me. And man, my 11-year-old son got, got caught last night, a couple nights ago with his TV on, watching some dude do magic on YouTube. I don't know, whatever. At like 10 o'clock at night, his bedtime's 8.30. Freaked out, he like tried to hide in his loft like it was a great deal, man. And I looked at Calvin and we had this discussion. I said, man, this is, because this, this is something that's become kind of a recurring occurrence for us. And the next morning I sat him down. I said, man, it feels like, it feels like you're not even sad about being disobedient. You're sad about getting caught. And he's like, yep. It's like, well, at least you're honest, bro. Um, and so I looked at Calvin. I said, man, this is, I said, this is gonna be kind of painful. Do your parents ever say that, right? Like, this is gonna hurt me a lot more. It's gonna hurt you. It's low-key true, man. Like, it really, and so we just, we took, just kind of took everything away that he held dear. And so this week is just gonna be one where he's gonna be alone with his thoughts a lot. And what is the desire there in the midst of that trial that he's gonna go through? Yeah, he brought it on himself. 
But if I was an unloving dad, here's what I'd do. That's all right. Just keep doing you. You keep being you, man. You keep doing what you wanna do. You keep not worrying about that part of your soul that just wants to rebel. You just keep going after you. Like that would be unloving because one day that's gonna catch up with him, right? But me hoping to be a loving father is gonna sit down and go, hey man, this is the purpose in this. The goal is that you're strengthened and encouraged that you don't see your desires and your temptations as the goal to get what you want when you want, but rather there's something better that we're trying to instill. This is what God is doing, that in these times, God is molding our desires. Those good desires that are there, those holy desires, he's molding those things, those things that are finite in nature that wanna pursue things that ultimately won't fulfill what God is doing in the midst of trials and testings going, no, I'm gonna take that thing, I'm gonna refine it and I'm gonna use it for my purposes and I'm gonna blow your mind by what I'm gonna do through you. Like this is what he's doing. Like he's taking these areas where we want to go after us. He's going, no, 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 I'm not gonna let you do that because I love you. Because I care about you. Because there's eternal things. And listen, some of you guys are rolling your eyes right now because it's like, I don't believe that, Brandon, because it sucks right now what I'm going through. Nobody said it was gonna be easy. The Bible doesn't say, hey, trials are gonna be really easy. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is on his knees going, Father, yo, I got a perfect brother out there I don't know about. Like, I don't really wanna do this but ultimately submits to the will of the Father, is beaten beyond recognition, is hung on a cross to die, bears the weight of my sin and your sin and raises victorious. Like Jesus, he's like walking through walls and stuff after that, man. Like he ascends to the Father and Jesus is not coming back He's coming back on, he's coming back to wreck shop, man. Like suffering and trials were not easy for Jesus. And listen, they're not gonna be easy in the here and now. But listen to this, what, what, Jesus, what God says about himself here. He says in the, in the next part of verse 17, that those gifts are coming down from the father of lights. Like this is God as our creator. Like this shows the goodness and the good character of our God. Unlike the day, unlike the night, unlike the shifting shadows, the sands of temporary desires and the temptation of sin, God is unchanging. That he is good and he is gracious and he will never stop being this even when you're in the dark night of the soul. Even when your whole world and everything you held dear in your hands has vanished, God does not stop being this. That even when the testing and the trials that we're going through are hard, God's purposes are not for us to fall into evil, but rather to mold us into the image and likeness of Jesus. And listen, if you are in that dark night of the soul, I know it's hard. Like, I know it's tough. Like, I get that. I've been there. 
but I also know the truth of this. It isn't shifting. Right? Like we get our truth from experiences or we get it from the unchanging word of God. Now, I'd rather have my eyes fixed on the thing that doesn't move than trying to figure out the cultural moments that are constantly changing. He does not move. Like, listen, to have this view of trials where God is good, like this isn't something that we conjure up. It's not something that we just get through good works and good deeds. Like we don't just, like we don't just go, man, it's gotta be a better person. Then God's gonna, you know, trials are gonna be easy and I'll find eternal purposes. Like that's not how you get there. Look at how you get there in the, in the last part of verse 18. Of his own will, of his eternal purposes for your life, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. Like he brought us forth. Literally, you know what that says? He gave birth to us. Like contrast that with the sin that we just read about, right? When sin gives birth, what happens? Death. You see the two differences here? It's already separating itself. That God is, God is giving birth to life. That 1 Peter 1.23 says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Not of that that's gonna die one day, but that which will live forever through the living and abiding word of God. That this grace and what we call regeneration, that's just a crazy long word for saying God has made you new. He hasn't given you a makeover, but you are adopted as family as a new creation. That you, Christian, are the visible representation of the kingdom of God. That your belief in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you confessing that and believing that has set you not as some not in some corner to be dealt with by God, but on this level of a visible representation of the kingdom. The Christian is the beginning. This is what he means by the first fruits, that the Christian is the beginning renewal of the whole creation, that one day God will fully restore. But right now, when people look at you, even through the trial, even through the testing, that they're seeing the kingdom of God. This is why cultural Christianity doesn't work. This is why just coming to church and trying to be a good person and making sure you're on the right side and your, your goods outweigh your bads at the end of the day. Like this is why it's not biblical because God awakens the dead heart. He breathes life into the heart that only wants to go after what it wants to go after and not just a makeover of good works. Like, listen, if I was inviting you as a pastor into some good works club, I'd say, get the heck out of here because it's weird. What we're inviting you into is life and that life more abundantly, even when it's hard. That life that isn't bound by temptation, that life that isn't bound by the shifting sands of what we see in culture, but that man to wage war like to put us like Christianity is anything but boring. And if you're bored as a Christian, man, I wonder where your focus is. It makes you a new creation with refined and desires that are pleasing to him. 